Welcome to On The Rise Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Hello and welcome to On The Rise Podcast. My name is Sam Donzig alongside my co-host Evan Brown. Before we get started, On The Rise, po- on the Rise Podcast is now streaming on midtownradio.ca, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Our topics for today's episode are uh, the major player cuts to the uh, minor league system in the MLB, the three major rule changes and one bylaw coming to the NFL, as well as NFL coaches most likely returning to practice fields early next week, analyzing each playoff format uh, possibility in the NBA, including the possible play-in tournament and World Cup, uh, as well as ranking our top five primetime players right now in the MLB or M- NBA. And then the NFL officially approves 2014 playoff format, and we're going to talk about the seven non-playoff teams uh, that are now able to make trades. Let's begin in the NBA, and also something that was just recently broken as well, was that fact that Adam Silver has announced that the NBA is proposed, set to return on July 31st. Now let's kind of break in into these two different uh, possible uh, playoff styles. The first one is in a play-in tournament. Um, which is what the remaining bubble teams would participate in a playing tournament to determine the final spots of the playoffs. And reportedly, uh, 75% of GMs voted in favor of this method. Now, this was just a survey. This was nothing about, like, regarding about, the, like, Adam Silver has come out and said he doesn't care what the GM said. He just wanted yeah. to get their o- overall thoughts also, on this. He also said that, it's, like, he understands that there could be bias because some of the teams would obviously want, some, like, just teams barely outside of the playoffs would want a tournament because they want to yeah. test it. Right, mm-hmm. so it didn't really matter to him much what the what the survey said. But what's interesting as well is that recently it's broke as well. Apparently, NBA has made a plan, or it's it's almost I'm going to say it's mission to include Zion Williamson in the playoffs, which leads me to believe they're leading towards a play-in tournament. But the thing is that what if the Pelicans lose? They what if the Pelicans lose and they don't get in the playoffs? Like the NBA just can't can't just force someone into the playoffs that doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs just because he's a rookie. Yeah. If John Morant believes to be a better rookie and proves that, like, I'm not saying he's better, but if he shows up and he and his team goes into the playoffs, they, they outplay the Pelicans or whatever, then they deserve to be in the playoffs. And I think it's – I think it's, and I understand the NBA is a business with any league. And so Zion Williamson is, is supposedly this, this superstar player that's going to make a lot of money for the NBA. But you cannot have the NBA – Having caught like having this type of, I'd say almost it's mini controversy almost to a point where the fact is that you can't like just rig games just to have one player or one team in the playoffs because you want to make money because you lost so much of it. And I think it's not fair if John, if John Morant or another rookie or another team deserves to be in that playoff spot, that finally, even if it's the uh, Blazers, they deserve to be in that playoff spot. And that's just the way that I feel. I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's like. I don't agree with the NBA's decision to try to force Zion into the playoffs because if you look at the team, they're like, if the Pelicans don't deserve to be in the playoffs, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. They shouldn't be forced into an opportunity. There are plenty of other teams that could actually make things competitive, right? Like um, take a look at like switching just slightly over to the one to 16 format, uh, which we can talk about in a second, which we'll talk about in a second here. But the Magic currently are the 16th ranked team and would play the Bucks in the first round because it's one versus 16. Mm-hmm. But and so, would you rather have the Magic, who are a bit more of an excitement? Like you still have that excitement factor of Aaron Gordon. You got Mo Bamba, who's apparently added 20 pounds of muscle since quarantine started, who could come out on a tear once this returns. We don't know. But it sounds yeah. like the the Orlando Magic are going to be an exciting team when things get back. Maybe not. I don't think they're going to beat the Bucks by any sense. 
but I think that they still have that ability to show that they can at least compete a little bit, right? And I think with if you brought the Pelicans into that format, say they say they just somehow switched Zion, uh, switch Zion into the, and the Pelicans instead of the Magic. Say they did that, for example. A, the Magic would be outraged because now the NBA almost like forced them out of the playoffs. And then for the Pelicans, you're going in as a less competitive team in comparison to the Magic, right? Because I would say right now, yes, you have Zion Williamson, but because of the Magic's um, more experienced roster, yes, they have more younger players. Uh, they have younger players as well, but they have a bit more of an experienced roster when it comes to the playoffs because you have, while they have been the eight seed for the past season, it still shows you have experience getting into the playoffs. And at least, I mean, hey, they took a game off the Raptors last year, right? And they, the yeah. Raptors ended up being a champion. So it shows the Magic can have the ability to win games in the playoffs. And I don't know if the... Um, Pelicans would be able to provide that. Yes, you have Zion. Yes, it would be exciting to see him play, but everybody knows he was injured this year. Everybody knows he did return for a few games, but I still doubt that he was fully 100% when they pushed the return. I think they wanted to push the return just so they could sell a few more tickets uh, at the end of the season, which I don't think they expected. They obviously didn't expect anything like this to happen where they wouldn't be making any sort of ticket money. Uh, but next year, I think Zion is – that's going to be the year the, ML, the NBA is going to try to push him into the playoffs no matter what. I just don't think it should that, – but that should be because they make it to the playoffs rather than have the NBA kind of like take, the, take their team and just kind of force them in no matter what happens, right? Yes, you want to bring it back ex, like exciting basketball, but you also want to bring back competitive basketball. And I think if you no. take that away, then – Yeah, no, I would, I would definitely agree is the fact that – like I was like, now we're kind of comparing these two methods of the playing tournaments or of uh, the World Cup, like the one to sixteen playoff team format. Where if you look at that format, you have a lot of competitive matchups going on, where potentially you will see the Lakers and Raptors go off face to face, or you could see the Clippers uh, and Bucks go head to head as well. Um, the yep. Celtics and 76ers, which is going to be a huge first round series, or the Jazz and the Rockets. You have really and the Heat and the Thunder. There's so many competitive matchups. So if you bring a team that doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs. That isn't going to be competitive. Let's say, yeah, like you said, they go into that 16 spot. They just barely make it in. They, go, they get past the Magic, and they play the Bucks. The Bucks sweep them. Their season's done. That was a boring series to watch. No one really – well, let's say the Magic go in. Zion's no longer in the playoffs. Yeah, the Magic could steal one game out of them, or maybe even two. But I don't think it's going to be two, but one game. One game is all you need for a little bit of excitement. When, when the Magic beat the Raptors – in that first game, in that first series, I was like, oh, God, not again. I was thinking to myself, yep. not again, yep. we're going to lose. And it didn't happen. But it, it, it created that sense of, like, hope for Magic fans. That, like, oh, wow, we took, yeah. off the, we took oh, down yeah. the Raptors. So, if, like, I'm not saying that the Magic – the Magic, in my mind, are more competitive than the Pelicans right now. And I feel that with this news breaking reportedly, it doesn't look good on Adam Silver. It doesn't look good on the NBA just because they want to make a few extra bucks of one person. Exactly. Zion and it's not like selling they're selling tickets because they're not coming back with fans. We know that. They shouldn't be coming back no, with fans, no. but it's they're trying to pull more TV viewership. And I think the NBA has to realize, yes, you can pull in Zion Williamson into the playoffs. Yes, you would get like you would still get TV viewership because people would be wanting to watch Zion. But I think no matter what, you're gonna get a huge influx of TV viewership anyways, because people won't yeah. be at the games. And I think you everybody's missing sports so much now. By the time it comes back like viewership is going to be an all-time high through TV, right? So I think mm -hmm. the NBA should kind of consider the fact that 
they're going to be making a ton off of TV deals anyways, and they're not trying to sell tickets right now. So trying to push Zion in is kind of pointless if you ask me. Definitely. Um, now, like looking at these two methods, which one would you say are you more in favor of? Are you in favor of the World Cup 1-16 to team playoff where you kind of have that inner cross-conference play? Or would you have the bubble team, like the play-in tournament for those chances that John Brand could make it in like the uh, with the Gri- or not the Grizzlies, but other teams like the Blazers or other teams who are just outside of a playoff spot, possibly into well, like what are your thoughts there on which team, which which method do you like better? I like I like the idea of the play on tournament just because I feel like you have to give your remaining bubble teams some sort of a chance to get in, no matter what. You can't just take the top sixteen. I think I think there would be a bit of an outrage if you just cut it off at sixteen. You have to you have to give teams the opportunity to work their way back because I know like Damian Lillard was saying he wanted Mm. he said if they had to play meaningless games which I don't think the NBA is doing thankfully but if he had to play games where it's just like him like him and the Blazers playing I don't know the Knicks for some reason like he wouldn't want to play in those games because they're not going to be competitive and they're pointless right but if he's actually playing for a potential playoff spot then he'll want to play so I think the NBA I think the NBA will have to give a chance to those bubble teams but I think it's mm-hmm. what it's going to end up being is it's going to be like you give like so what like you take you take the 14, 15, 16, and then the 17, 18, 20, I think. And you have sort of like a play in mini tournament that way. I don't know how many teams that would work out. To, I don't know how it would exactly work. But I think you got to give them a mini play in tournament just to figure out the bottom seating because usually the bottom seating is very close, right? So it can instantly change with a few few games easily but then I think once those three playoff spots are kind of solidified then I think you move into the one to 16 bracket which would like we were saying would be very very interesting because there was a lot of crazy potential matchups crazy matchups in the first round there like because it opens up the possibility of cross-conference play that really opens up a whole new doors now you can have the Clippers and Lakers potentially play in the NBA finals like everybody's been asking for you could have, you probably will have the Raptors and Lakers in the uh, one conference final, and then you potentially could have the Bucks and Clippers in the other conference final. That would be fun basketball to watch. Yeah, and I think as no, well, I, def- like, I think the like we were kind of talking about kind of the Raptors path that they would have to take uh, going into uh, this, and looking at so they played the Grizzlies in the first round. I think we all know that they can, they have the ability to. Uh, wipe away the Grizzlies pretty easily. Yes, they have John Morant. Yes, they have ex-Raptors Jonas Valanciunas, which you never know. His three-point ability is pretty good, but <laughs> I think I think the Raptors easily take that series, and then it's going to be interesting because we play the we would uh, go on to play the winner of the uh, Nuggets and Pacers, which I think is going to be one of the key matchups of the first round because you got Pacers with a healthy Victor Oladipo coming back because he barely got in a few games uh, before. Uh, the whole NBA shut down. And then you got the Nuggets, who they got top of the line Nikola Jokic. You got Jamal Murray still. Like, they're a scary team. And I remember watching the uh, the time they played the Raptors during the regular season. It was a tough battle. And I think that would be a really, yeah. really interesting season uh, series to watch, especially because it would be kind of J- Jamal Murray would have to play the team he grew up cheering for, in a sense, right? Because yeah. he would have been a Raptors fan growing up, and he is Canadian. And yeah, I think that would be an interesting matchup. And then, obviously, what we think would happen would be we would have to end up, if we beat either the Pacers or the Nuggets, we'd have to play the Lakers in the semifinals, which means if we want to 
go back-to-back champions like a lot of the Raptors who were interviewed I think over the past couple days have said that they feel like they can be back-to-back champions that would be really interesting in my mind to have to go through LeBron again and the Lakers which I think honestly they could take this year I think comparing the two teams between the Lakers and the Raptors the Lakers have a lot bigger of a size advantage I think with LeBron and Anthony Davis that would that back end would be a bit tougher to guard against I think Pascal Pascal would have a tough time guarding Anthony Davis just because he is a bit taller. That's why I think a healthy Marc Gasol might be very key in this series or in that uh, supposed series. And I think another person that's going to have to be key in that entire series is OG Ananobi because you're going to need to play strong defense on LeBron. You're probably going to have Pascal on him some of the time, but OG is going to have to play some defense. And I think Chris Boucher as well would have to play a ton of good defense in that series. And then I think you just let the play of, like, Kyle, Freddie, Norm, Matt Thomas, uh, Terrence Davis, all those guards, they will really have to take advantage and really uh, knock down those shots in the clutch. And I think that's really what's going to be the matter of that series. I don't think it's a series we see Spicy P dominate. I think it's going to be a guard-dominated series. And I think I would personally give the guard advantage to the Raptors if it comes down to that. I would definitely agree because when you look at the Lakers, and yes, they have a great starting five, but their bench is not great. When you look at the Raptors bench, it is deep. So as soon as you take LeBron off the floor, you took AD off the floor. The Lakers, I know, they're probably a mediocre team at best. With LeBron and AD on the floor, they're, they're this amazing team because they have AD and LeBron and they have everyone else. But their bench isn't as strong in my mind as the Raptors, and the starters can't play 48 minutes a night. I'm just going to say that. They, they, they might play close to – because it's the playoffs and it's the conference finals and LeBron is going to, like, I even remember it was 2016. I think it was 2016 Eastern conference finals. It was game six and LeBron played every minute. I'm pretty sure he was, he might've been subbed off twice, but there was a reason why is because he wanted to win that game. So there's going to be times when those players are going to play close to 40 plus minutes a game, but there's going to be times early on in the, in that series where, they aren't going to be playing that time, and they're going to have to. The league is going to have to rely on the bench, and I trust the Raptors bench a lot more. I think through this method of this one to sixteen team playoff, the Raptors might have. I think it's an easier road to get to the East or to get to the conference finals, but I still think that if we get through pass through LeBron, like if we beat him in LA, finally after him beating us many years in Cleveland for like three straight years, there will be just it will be so much happiness. I think the Raptors fans to be like saying we beat LeBron in LA in a different team with a decently good roster, we can feel good. Like we can sleep tonight yeah. knowing that we, so it's, it's something proud to have. And I think it's going to be an exciting series yeah. potentially because I do see the Raptors and Lakers going head to head. And I do, in my mind, I like the world cup, the one to 16 team playoff because you have such good rivalries. Like you said, the nuggets and the Pacers, you also have the heat and the thunder. So when you have these teams going at it, which are so closely contested in a tight battle, it's going to make for great basketball, really competitive basketball, possibly some early game sevens, which is always exciting, as we know, as Raptors fans last year. Um, and I just think that's what's, uh, what's the right move for the NBA. Yeah. And, one, and one, one final thought as well. Like, I think with the Raptors' uh, path this year, I think they would rather have the LeBron revenge tour where they have to play the Lakers and hopefully pass through them rather than have to go through the Bucks again or the Celtics again or the 76ers mm-hmm. again because – Every time we've played them in past years, they've been tough matchups. And honestly, yeah. I wouldn't want to face the 76ers or the Bucks because judging by what we did to them last year, they're going to come back with a bit of a vengeance this year, right? If we, if yeah. we had to play them, they would play with a bit of a harder chip, uh, 
bit more of a chip on their shoulder. Definitely the 76ers as well, just because of how they lost that series last year. So yeah. I think the Raptors, the Raptors definitely prefer this route to the playoffs, although they might be going up against teams that might be tougher that they haven't been used to uh, playing before, like the Nuggets and the Lakers. Definitely. Alrighty, moving on over into some other news. Of course, recently, uh, or the, recently, obviously, many networks have released uh, primetime players, like a top 15 list of primetime prime time players right now in the NBA. We decided to pick our top five primetime players currently right now in the NBA. I'll go through my list, describe why, or put out my reasoning for the order of my list, and then you can give out your list. In order. So to start off my list is Kawhi Leonard. The reason why Kawhi Leonard is number one in my primetime player, because he has continued to dominate in the NBA as of right now in clutch situations, in the playoffs, in the regular season when things are on the line. Huge – and I'm not just going to say just because, you know, obviously, last year he was a Raptor. He delivered one of the clutches shots in NBA – well, a lucky shot as well, but a very huge clutch shot against the 76ers to send them home. He, he, ended, the, he ended the Miami Heat dynasty back when he was still a young rookie, um, really young player. He took down LeBron James in the big three. So I think in those situations and as well throughout his whole kind of career, but as of right now, he has proven to be a huge primetime player and a player. Number two on Melissa is Giannis Antetokounmpo. The reason why is because right now he is dominating the league. He should be. He won league MVP this year. He's most likely he could win it back-to-back years. Could be possibly unanimous MVP this year. He's averaging 30 and 30 on the best team in the NBA right, NBA right now who possibly could be NBA champions this year. Number three on the list, LeBron James. Now, LeBron James has been in the league for 17 years. And, you know, you could say he's been dominating for that long. But still at his age, in the past few years, he has still been one of the most dominant players in the NBA. And that is why he is number three, as well as the fact that he came back from 3-1 in a series. Yes, he was down 3-1, but it's it's near impossible with the help that he – with obviously with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. But to come down from back from 3-1 to then take down the Golden State Warriors – in my mind, he deserves a number three spot. Now, number four could have some controversy because he is injured. But Kevin Durant, when healthy, is clearly probably a top five primetime player. He is at most probably even a top three or top five player uh, right now in the NBA because of his skill of ability to take any shot, like a shot, take a shot anywhere, either from three-point, uh, mid-range, to be able to lay up in drive to the hoop, anything like that. His length is, gives him great defensive ability which I think, and as well, his success with the Warriors. I know you could say, well, he went to 72. But I honestly think if Kevin Durant was not on those two years with the Warriors, Warriors would possibly lose those two finals because they needed a player like Kevin Durant to solidify those two championships to help them with those tough matchups they had. Number five on the list, uh, Steph Curry. Steph Curry is, is obviously right now a huge dominant player in the NBA. Yes, he's had a struggle in, in clutch moments, and I know he's like 0 for 8 and like, clutch go ahead four point but in my mind he's a huge primetime player that shows up in the playoffs uh year in and year out he 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 was constantly been he's a three-time nba championship he's been to the finals many years in a row i think four or five or five years in a row which i think is just insane and that's kind of my list with the reasoning uh, i'll let you go next to explain yeah. your list as well so mine mine is actually pretty similar to sam's uh, i mean i have Kawhi leonard and Giannis and lebron one two three obviously Kawhi. I think just all around one of the uh, best players in the NBA right now. If you need a stop on defense, he can give it to you. If you need a clutch shot, he can give it to you. If you need a clutch pass, rebound, whatever, he can give it to you. And I think that's why I have him number one on my list. 
I got Giannis number two, obviously best player in the league right now. He can do it all uh, just a bit behind Kawhi defensively, but still overall great player. Uh, LeBron number three, obviously he's the king, man. You can't, you can't disrespect him at all on this list. Uh, and then at number four, I actually have Steph Curry instead of Kevin Durant. I personally think that Curry uh, with his shooting ability is someone I'd rather have uh, hitting a clutch three. Uh, late in the game defensively maybe not as strong but it's definitely some guy that you know can under when under pressure can uh, perform and then I actually don't have Kevin Durant on my list instead at number five I have Anthony Davis now Kevin Durant honestly a few years ago I would have maybe put him on this list but right now based off the fact that a he is injured obviously and we don't know what his prowess is going to be but also I've never really thought of I, I know Kevin Durant is a top player in the league I know he's a scorer I know he's one of the better players in the league, but I've never thought of Kevin Durant as a primetime clutch player, if that makes any sense, because he's always, like, most of the time, he has the last shot passed up to someone else on his team, whether that be Curry, whether that be Clay, just because they have more of a clutch gene. And I think that's why, like, don't get me wrong, Kevin Durant is a tough player. He's an MVP caliber player. He is one of the best players in this league. But at the same time, I think when compared to primetime, I think because of how many times he's kind of passed up some of the shots that he could have, and he hasn't been as clutch as some players, that's why he's not in my top five. I put Anthony Davis at number five because I feel like uh, as a big man, he can easily be a guy that you can get to drive in a lane, get two buckets, pick up a free throw if you need. But also defensively, you can't get into the paint on that guy. He will destroy you defensively, and he can lock down the perimeter if he has to. Any big man that comes into his paint and he will stop no matter what. And I think whether that be a defensively or offensively, his clutch gene, I think surpasses that of Kevin Durant. And I think that's why the Lakers are such a scary team because yes, you have two all-stars in LeBron and Anthony Davis, but you also have two players that know how to win games and they know how to finish games. And I think that's why, that's why I think compared to um, him, uh, his time on the Cavaliers, LeBron, yes, did have Kyrie Irving, and yes, he did put up some clutch shots in the series, uh, in the many series against the uh, Golden State Warriors. But I think Anthony Davis is better both ends of the floor compared to Kyrie Irving, and that's why he kind of surpasses most players when it comes to uh, his prime time or clutch speed. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with all those points, man. They're solid points. I can totally understand. Like Kevin Durant, that's why I said it would receive some, uh, I'd say, controversy because he is injured and we don't really know what his future in the NBA is going to be. He's not going to be the same player when he returned. But I definitely think that before he got injured, when he was with the Warriors, even when he was with the um, – when I'm, I'm trying to remember. When he was with uh, OKC and stuff, I don't know why I couldn't remember that. But when he was with OKC, I still felt that he was still a really good player. And I think that when he got to the Warriors, he became a better player – with the help of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, like you said as well. He isn't, yes, you might say most, most clutch shooter. He won't probably shoot the most. But I think in those primetime games, as definition prime primetime being like a huge moment, I think he performs well. And I and I still consider him a top five primetime player. But I can understand where you're coming from with Anthony Davis, with the skill that he has as well, and the way that he's been able to perform so well, even after um, certain injuries and stuff that he's had um, with other – with his previous that's what I'm trying to use with the previous teams and stuff with possible injuries. So I can totally understand where you're coming from with all the valid points. And uh, it's definitely interesting to see where kind of our primetime players rank right now in the NBA. 
Alrighty, that wraps up our NBA discussion regarding the two format, two possible NBA formats, plus what uh, the NBA is doing with trying to push Zion Williamson and the Pelicans into the playoffs, as well as ranking our top five primetime players right now in the NBA. Moving on over into some other NHL news. The NHL has officially approved the 2014 playoff. Um, so we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of idea to predict the seeding of the four teams from each conference, um, plus predictions for the first round. So if you look through to start off, obviously in the Eastern conference, we have the Boston Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Capitals, and the Flyers. In your mind, who is going to win that round robin set of games to determine that first seed to play the Leafs or the Blue Jackets? I think it's going to be interesting. Personally, as a Leafs fan, I would rather have it not be Boston. But I think based yeah. off of I think based off of the skill level, I don't think the Flyers. I don't think the Flyers have the potential to beat uh, the Bruins or the Lightning or the uh, sorry, what's the third? Capitals. The Capitals. I don't think I don't think they can sweep those three games. I think they're a pretty good team, but I don't think they would have those three games. And you got to remember, near the end of the season, when it stopped, you have to remember that they were on a heater. They had just won ten straight. They were they were just moving up the standings. But because of that, they're not really. I wouldn't. Yes, they're a good team, but I don't know if they're as good as their record suggests. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were on a ten game win streak, and yes, they were looking dominant for a while. But at the same time, I think that streak really pushed them up in the standings. And I think you could have easily switched out them for another team in the Metropolitan like the Penguins. Uh, but I think I, – I don't want it to be the case, but I think it's probably going to be the Bruins taking that three. I mean, yes, you are uh, facing a healthy Tampa Bay Lightning, which I think would be scary. And I think that – like, if Stamkos is healthy and playing at the top of his game, I can see them I, – I can see – I don't know. It's tough because – you got yeah. Ovechkin and uh, you got Ovechkin in the Capitals and Braden Holtby, who, while when Braden Holtby is on his best, he can easily steal a round robin or something like that for them. He, they could, he could easily steal the three game set, or you could I could see the Bruins just overpowering everybody with Pasternak and easily moving on. So I think it's going to be tough in the East, but I think I'm going to go sadly with Boston making it out of the Eastern Conference as the top seed, anyways. Yeah, you know, I would definitely agree. I think that Boston is by far right as of right now. You look at the they're the they're the supposed number one seed as of right now. Obviously, that that could change. But I do think that when you look at the Lightning, are the only team I think that's going to really give them some trouble. Yes, the Capitals could give them some trouble, but we all know Capitals do great in the regular season. But sometimes they don't really push through in the playoffs. And this is technically the playoffs. It's the preempt of the playoffs, but still important crucial clutch games doesn't always go through and I feel that Boston year in and year out despite how much how many people hate them between the Leafs fans or any other types of fans they are a good hockey club they perform well in the playoffs and if they deserve to be there they deserve to be there now going through some of the uh, other matchups and stuff let's start with the Leafs and Blue Jackets the Leafs ranked eight the Blue Jackets ranked nines you're a Leafs fan but do you consider the Blue Jackets to be a threat to the Leafs before with a possible with them possibly not being able to move on to the to the supposed first official first round against the possible possible Bruins? What are your thoughts there? So this is going to be an interesting five game series uh, between the Leafs and the Blue Jackets because it's going to be very fast paced. I think a lot of the guys are not only itching to be playing. I think they're going to have a lot more speed because they are well rested. But I think these two teams are just fast in general. You look at all the speedsters, whether that be 
uh, Cam Atkinson or uh, Kasper Kapanen. You got some real burners on these teams, and it's going to be fast-paced. And I think the goaltending play of Freddie Anderson is going to be key in this series. I think, I think the Blue Jackets are a tough team to face out of this bracket just because of their speed and because they are a bit underrated considering they are a lot more healthy now than what they would have been if, they, if this was the first round of the playoffs when it was supposed to begin. And I think that's what scares me the little, uh, the littlest bit. But I do think that the, the Maple Leafs will be able to win a th- this three-game series or this five-game series against the Blue Jackets. And I think that will give them a huge confidence booster moving into the um, first official round. Because, yes, this isn't the playoffs necessarily because it is the qualifying round, but it is still the playoffs. And I think that would give them a lot of confidence heading into the next round. And I know there's a lot of talk because – uh, the draft format that they're coming, they're kind of planning is very confusing and we would not be able to explain it in this episode. It's very confusing. Nobody really understands it. But the way it was put to me is that the Leafs, if the Leafs were to lose this series, they would have a better chance of picking really high in this draft, which was quite interesting to me. I don't really want that to happen because I want to see them succeed. But that was that was a little bit of an interesting piece I saw. So I mean, I mean, Kyle Dubas and the Leafs obviously don't want to rebuild. They want to go far in this playoffs, and I think they can go far in this playoffs. But should uh, should worst come to worst, I think the Leafs would have a good fallback onto the draft. But then again, draft is random chance as well. I think the Leafs deserve to go farther into this playoffs, and I think they deserve another opportunity against Boston. I think. This this break has kind of given them a chance to re, re, reconnect with their teammates, uh, collect themselves, and say, "Okay, what's the mindset we got to go into the uh, uh, go into these uh, go into it when the playoffs return, and what kind of mindset can we have as a team to make sure that we are ready mentally and physically to take on the Boston Bruins? Because it's going to be presumably if we play the Boston Bruins, it's going to be a physical series, and it, like always, and it's going to be a fast-paced series, like always. And I think." That's why the Leafs are trying to prepare themselves, not just for the Blue Jackets. I think they're preparing themselves as a team to go forward and presumably face the Boston Bruins because that is going to be the ultimate test. I think if the Leafs were to win a Stanley Cup in the near future, I think it would have to be against the Boston. uh, They would have to face the Boston Bruins and pass them at some point just because it would feel so much sweeter. You can win the Stanley yeah. Cup, but if it's not like the Capitals did a few years ago, getting past their demons and the Penguins, uh, then it doesn't feel that as sweet. And I think that's what, A, made it so sweet for the Capitals. B, made it so sweet for the St. Louis Blues, overcoming going from last place to first place in a matter of months. And I think that's what it would require the Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. To make it that much better, to make it that much uh, more special, I think they would have to go through the Bruins at some point. And I think this could be the year they go through the Bruins. Obviously, it's a bit of a big claim, obviously biased because of Leaf fans, but genuinely I do believe this Leafs team has a really good shot based off of all the injuries that they have healed now. Uh, they won't have Andreas Janssen, but they will have Jake Muzzin back. They will have Ilya Mikheyev back. I think this Leafs team has a really good shot to beat these Bruins team this year despite everything that's been going on. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think the Leafs are going to go far. And I think they're going to face a real challenge with the Boston Bruins. And I think really the only, t- the only way that you're going to say, 
the Leafs can beat the Bruins is they have to outplay them physically. They have to play them, outplay them mentally. They have to be the better team in the series. That's it's. I know it's very like cliche to say, oh, you have to be the better team. It's harder. It's it's easier to say than easier said than done. But the, that's the bottom line: is you have to be the team that's hungry for that win. And if they go out there and they say, we really want to win that game, we really want to win that series, we want to take down Boston, then I can totally understand that they're going to win that series. Moving on to some other series as well, kind of just quickly going through the rest. So we have the Penguins and Canadians. Then we have the Islanders and the uh, Panthers and the Hurricanes and the Rangers. That's on the Eastern Conference. So quickly going through, just pick a winner of who you think uh, those three remaining series, and then we'll do the Western Conference then. I think the Penguins easily would take it over the Canadians as much as Carey Price could easily steal that series. I think the Penguins deserve to go farther, and I think they will go farther. Uh, her, uh, the, the New York Rangers, while ha- they have been on a bit of a heater, I think the Carolina Hurricanes will just be able to overpower them. I think the Rangers had a bit of an underrated season from that standpoint, and I think their rebuild is going a lot faster than people think. But at the same time, I think the Hurricanes will take them down. And then with the Islanders and Panthers, that's going to be a really interesting matchup because I don't know if the Islanders have enough goaltending to get past the Panthers, uh, although the Panthers haven't had much great goaltending themselves. Sergei Bobrovsky hasn't been great for them. The Islanders do have a high-powered offense when they want to be, and it's, it's going to be a close series, but I think, the Pan- I think, honestly, the Panthers are going to outlast the Islanders in that one. But then again, the Islanders did outlast a lot of teams last year in the playoffs and surprised a lot of teams. So who knows what could happen next year or this year? Yeah, no, I, I would think that the Penguins are be, going to beat the Canadians just because of Carey Price. You got Sidney Crosby, you got Evgeny Malkin. You got so many star players on there. Um, Islanders going to take down the Panthers. And I do think that the Hurricanes with the season they've had, with the season they've had and the success they had last year as well, um, I do think that they're going to be the team to beat. And I think – or not saying – and they're not they're going to be the team to beat. But they're going to beat the Rangers. And then going into the second round, they're going to have a bit of a tougher time. Moving now over into the Western Conference, uh, regarding the top four teams, we have the Blues, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, and Stars. Um, in my mind, really quickly, just going to go through this. I think the Blues are going to stay atop the, that first seed. I see the Golden Knights actually going to the second seed, Avalanche dropping to the third, and Stars staying in the fourth seed for ranking-wise. And then moving forward to the playoff series, that preamp first round, I have the Calgary Flames beating the Winnipeg Jets. I have the Oilers beating the Blackhawks, despite the Blackhawks being somewhat of a – they haven't had the best season the past few years. And, yes, they could come out and surprise everyone. But I just think that the Oilers right now are a really good hockey club. They've got really good hockey – the hockey players on the team are doing really well. Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, both up for possible MVP. And I think that it's just going to be overwhelming too much. Plus, the Blackhawks goaltending is just a, too much of a big question mark for me as a fan, just as even as an analyst as well. And then going to the next series, I do have the Canucks winning over the Wild and the um, Nashville Predators over the Coyotes. What are your thoughts for the Western Conference? Uh, for the Western Conference, I actually do not have the Blues winning it. I do have the Colorado Avalanche winning it, I think. Um, yes, the Blues are the top team right now, and yes, they were the best team in the Western Conference. But because the Avalanche have had time to heal, they'll be getting a lot more support from Nathan McKinnon back, and I think that's going to be a huge underrated story going into this playoffs, the fact that the Avalanche are going to be healthy for the first time in a while. And I think that's going to be a bit scary, considering with just Nathan McKinnon being one of the only healthy players still on the roster, they still pushed into the second spot in the West. So I think that's going to be uh, the team to beat, I think, personally out of the West. And I think they typed that top spot from the Blues. 
And then uh, for the qualifying rounds, I think the Oilers will take it over your Blackhawks, which I think I think Dreisaitl and McDavid have been kind of waiting for a chance to show what they can do in the playoffs. So that's why their qualifying round is going to be uh, – they're going to be trying extra hard in that series. I think the Coyotes made a terrible move with Taylor Hall, and I don't know how he's – I don't know if he's going to stay. I don't know how he's going to stay. But I think they are going to lose to the Nashville Predators. Maybe a pick will help them kind of regain some stuff. I don't know. I do have the Canucks being the Minnesota Wild. The Minnesota Wild, to me, shouldn't have been in a playoff spot in the first place. I think overall they're an aging team, and they're trying to hold on to whatever they have left. And personally, I think because they're trying to start a rebuild, I don't know if they would want to win this series, to be completely honest with you. Uh, So I think the Canucks take this one. And then I think the most competitive out of all these is going to be the Flames and the Jets because those are two really high-powered teams. They're really fast teams. And I think it's going to come down to goaltending. And I don't I, – I trust Connor Hellebuck as the Jets goalie rather than the goaltenders with the Flames. And I think that's what it's going to come down to in this series. And I think the Winnipeg Jets take it over the uh, Calgary Flames as much as I have a bit of a soft spot for the Calgary Flames. Well, it's going to be definitely interesting to see what happens. And uh, we'll see how our predictions pan out. Moving on over to some other NHL news. Now that the official playoff format has been released, seven non-playoff teams are now able to make trades, including the teams including Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose, Los Angeles, Los Angeles Kings, the Anaheim Ducks, and New Jersey, along with Buffalo. So looking at all this and also looking, you can discuss as well Jack Eichel's comments as well, what improvements do these squads need to make for 2020 for them to have successful campaigns, for them to be in this um, playoff, this in the uh, next year's playoffs? Well, I mean, I think it's not going to be a quick fix for a lot of these teams. I think they're going to have to go through full-scale rebuild, uh, rebuilds, even though some of them are already kind of moving in that direction. I think with Detroit, it's definitely going to be hoping they get uh, Lafreniere at the draft. I think they're hoping to get the top spot, uh, depending on how uh, depending on how the lottery goes. I think Ottawa I think Ottawa's in the best shape out of any of these teams right now because not only do they already have a plethora of young core, uh, but also they have two draft picks in the top three right now because they have San Jose's draft pick from the terrible Eric Carlson deal for the Sharks a couple of years ago. So I think the Ottawa Senators are in the best cha- uh, position out of all these teams because they are getting so many young players and they are pretty much guaranteed two top five picks almost. So that's going to be a very interesting storyline. The Sharks are going to have to, it's going to be, uh, I think they're going to start their full scale rebuild this year. I think they have, too, uh, too many aging players, including uh, Joe Thornton and uh, Brent Burns, among others. And I think they, because considering they don't have their pick this year, it's going to be tough for them next year. And I don't know how they can get back into the playoffs next year. I don't think they will. I think the Kings are, are just a few years ahead of the San Jose Sharks. They had a very aging team that was very good, uh, but they've started to get rid of some of their aging players. And I think they're now that they have some picks back, I think they're going to start moving into the a new age of the Kings where they bring up a lot more young players. Uh, the Ducks, I think the Ducks are kind of in the same boat as the Sharks right now. Yes, they are. Yes, they have more pick uh, availability, but they are an aging team. Gesslaff and Corey Perry are not the same as they used to be. I think they do have a interesting uh, prospect pool, including uh, Niskan in there, their defenseman. Uh, the New Jersey Devils. The Devils are an interesting one because they were supposed to be good. It was really weird. They were supposed to be good this year, and then they really didn't turn out to yeah. be anything. So I don't know what to say about them. And then I think what we kind of wanted to talk about more with these teams is the situation in Buffalo because they were doing a bunch yeah. of interviews this, this week with teams that obviously wouldn't be in the playoffs, including these seven. 
And I think the Buffalo Sabres are the most interesting out of all these because of what Jack Eichel commented on after uh, uh, during an interview this past week, basically saying that he was frustrated, he was upset with the team's performance, he's been t- he's tired of losing all these games, he doesn't want to uh, be out of the playoffs again, and there's a lot of rumors swirling around with Buffalo about trade rumors with Crystal Linen. There's a bunch of different talks, and it's just going to be interesting. And there was a bunch of talks online about how uh, potentially Jack Eichel might want to move on from the Buffalo Sabres, considering he just recently signed a five-year extension with them. And I don't know if he wants to be there for that long, depending on how they do. They haven't shown much improvement. So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what Buffalo can do. I just thought it was very interesting how Jack Eichel finally spoke out because he's been frustrated before, but he hasn't really spoken out this much about it. And we saw what happened to Ryan O'Reilly where he got traded immediately after he uh, spoke out last year about how they were losing. And then he went on to win the Stanley cup with the St. Louis blues. So I, I, it's going to be quite interesting to see what Buffalo does with Jack Eichel. And I'm hoping they don't do something stupid like trade him instead of trying to build around him. But I don't really see that happening. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I would definitely think, yeah, like comparing this situation to the Ryan O'Reilly situation where he was fed up and he clearly wanted to express, and then he ended up getting traded and he ended up winning the Stanley Cup, and he was probably pretty happy with that. So I definitely think that with this situation, Jack Eichel needs to think, yes. Now, what's interesting is that, yeah, he did recently sign a five-year extension, which I think at that time he was thinking – he didn't really – I would, at that time, I think he thought that there was more of a future in Buffalo. There was more – they were thinking towards a, having a better plan of getting towards a winning season and, like, a season where they would be in the playoffs. But as of right now, they're not in that situation. They probably won't be for probably another two years. So if I'm really thinking about it, I'm thinking, yes, you could be like every other player and voice your frustration, and you've seen it in other sports as well. We saw it in um well most recent is anthony davis who wanted out of new orleans and then went to the los angeles Angeles lakers this is in the same situation but you could almost say jack eichel just needs to raise his voice a little bit more and then maybe buffalo if he wants if he wants to stay in buffalo then he should just keep his mouth shut you know accept the board or what is and trust the team but if he wants to go somewhere else then he needs to clearly express saying i want to be traded because clearly winning isn't isn't a motto here in Buffalo. It's just being a like a pretty crappy team, selling tickets, making money. It's more of a business. If many teams in the NHL and any sports as well have become businesses where they want to make money, it's focused on capitalism, where it's not so much focused on becoming having successful seasons. And I think right now, if you want to be on a team that is about a winning culture or trying to win, then I think Buffalo is not that place. And I think that Jack, Jack Eichel needs to move on. Is he needs to talk with his agents. And he says, listen, Buffalo isn't the place for me. I've tried there. We like Because if he had only get, maybe played one or two seasons, like he played his rookie contract, and then he said, okay, I'm done, maybe you don't have enough faith. But he's given them time. He's given them lots of time. He's He has put faith into that organization. He has tried his best, at least, to stay with that organization through thick and thin. And I think at this point, as of right now, he needs to move on, and he needs to move on to better things for himself so that he can have success in the NHL, yeah. either winning awards, winning Stanley Cups. Those are my thoughts on that. Realistically, he they haven't added much talent around him. Yes, they did have one good year of J, uh, Jeff Skinner, and he's kind of fallen off. Yes, Rasmus Ristolainen was promising, but his defensive strategies are a bit questionable. And I think just based off of what they've tried to do with this team, they need to 
sort of rework this team. They need to say, okay, they need to prove to Jack Eichel that they can rework this team to make it fit for them. And they need to start building around him as a squad because he is clearly not happy right now. And clearly if they don't change something soon, I think he's gone with, by the end of next season. We'll see. Definitely. Alrighty, that wraps up our NHL discussion regarding the NHL officially approving the 2014 playoff, plus the seven non-playoff teams now able to make trades, what that looks like, as well as addressing uh, Jack Eagle's comments regarding his situation in Buffalo. Welcome back to On The Rise Podcast. And now moving on over to some other news in the MLB. Many major league teams cut hundreds of minor leaguers in an effort to cover the cost of lost revenue. Close to 1,000 minor leaguers, minor league players, could be out of work soon. Now, most teams originally, not all teams, but most teams originally planned to play, pay, play, or to pay minor league players each $400 uh, each week or until May 31st, which is coming up this Sunday, this Sunday. Um, now, the question is, did they make the right call with cutting these minor league players, or was it too soon in regards to not, like, just be able to having the money to pay them and stuff? Because in my mind, yes, MLB teams are losing a lot of money, and they're, they're currently in a contract dispute right now, or at least the PA with their current major league players, and having to pay minor league players isn't maybe at the top, top of their agenda. But these are the players that really matter. These are the players that, like, $400 a week is not a lot. That's $800 every two weeks. That is barely livable amount, depending on where you are living. And considering a player, considering a minor league player that's maybe making, that's going to be originally would be making more, is now making this amount. This is kind of where we talked about, uh, kind of this relates to, I guess, uh, it would be like Blake Snell's comments, the fact that players aren't being properly um, uh, paid and stuff. And I think at that point, they're now out of work, which I think it's too soon, I think. Like, I know MLB teams are losing a lot of money, but there's ways that you can still recruit. Like, there's owners that have a lot of money that could probably help cover the cost. And I know it's a minor league team, and, you know, you're not most favorite players. But it's important to keep those guys around because one of those players may end up being a star one day where uh, they could turn into a star being on a minor league team. What are your thoughts in there on this matter? I just think it's, it's, it's really interesting right now because the whole <clears> – <throat> the bigger picture right now is that the MLB uh, Players Association and the actual MLB are having a major feud right now over the fact that basically – we've kind of talked about this before, but it's been more clarified now. So the MLB players are fighting for 50-50. They want – since they're probably going to be playing 50% of the games, they want 50% of the pay. But the MLB, to cover the cost of loss of revenue through uh, ticket sales and stuff like that, is trying to cut their pay down to 70, cut, cut their pay 75% for half the games. So they'd be getting, for half the games, they'd be getting half the pay. Or, sorry, for half the games, they'd be getting a quarter of the pay. And that's without taxes and stuff like that. The MLB is literally trying to take off 25% of what they should be making, which there's a big war going on right now. I don't want to get into it too much. I agree oh, with players yeah. that though. They, it should be 50-50. Personally, the owners can pay these players. A lot of them are very rich. Yeah. I think it should be paid. But either way, it's tough for these minor, minor leaguers because uh, I think it was a Kevin Pillar tweeted out the fact that um, uh, not, 60% of MLB players make less than a million dollars already. So these cuts already are hurting them. But then to affect the minor league players that – uh, are already like some most teams are paying them at least uh, they're like four thousand four hundred dollars a week, which is good. That's what they should be doing. 
um, should be more actually theoretically. But yeah, if you think about it, there are a lot of minor league players within each system. It makes sense. Some of them would be making more with their AAA contracts, or their single A contracts would be a lot less. Either way, a lot of a lot of organizations are volunteering now to pay for those minor leaguers. Ben, like, yes, there is a lot of basically every spring training around this. Uh, well, around the end of uh, end of March, start of April, there would be usually some cuts anyways because of the end of spring training and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just been delayed so much because of they didn't know what money would look like come this time of year. And so it just kind of, with the whole talk about returning to play, it seemed like one team did it, every other team kind of followed suit saying, okay, we are going to make our cuts anyways, but now we have to make a lot more cuts. So it's tough for a lot of these minor leaguers because a lot of them are losing potential job opportunities, right? Like they've worked so hard to get to this point, but now they're just being let go by a lot of teams. Some teams are losing top pro like better prospects. Some teams are losing veterans that they've kind of buried in the minors. There's a lot of different things going on right now, which is tough because for these minor league players, they, like you said, don't make a lot as it is. They're barely making yeah. livable wages right now. Yeah. And it's, it's really tough for them right now. And like, for the teams, it makes sense. I feel like there definitely should have been a lot less cuts than there was. Close to a 1,000 minor league players. That's a tough, tough break for so many different people. And even, like, the blue – like, for example, the New York Yankees. It's a different story between the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays, for example, because the New York Yankees can afford to play their pay their, a lot more minor league players because they're a lot richer of a franchise, whereas – the Blue Jays owned by Rogers. Yes, they have a lot of money, but they don't have a lot compared to the New York Yankees. So that's why a lot you see a lot of teams um, who don't have a lot of money making a lot more cuts because they just can't afford to pay $400 to however many players, right? And the uh, Blue Jays came out, I think it was the past couple of days, either way, they were saying they will pay their minor leaguers at least $400 a week, which is really good to see. And I think... Uh, the big story was the fact that the Marlins were doing that, uh, uh, which was surprising because they are, I think, the poorest out of the MLB teams, which poorest by stretch, yes, they are still making millions and millions of dollars, but poorest being that the fact mm -hmm. that they don't have as much money to work with, which I thought was huge from them. But uh, just overall, this loss of minor leaguers, it's sad to see so many people, obviously some of them will be picked up, but... Uh, by other teams depending on when they can actually pay them but at this point it's tough for teams to pay them and a lot of people's careers will be ending from this and I think baseball as a whole will be taking a hit in the future because of this loss of players because a lot of these minor leaguers aren't like your veterans that have been buried in the minors a lot of them are young players and they would have been the future of the MLB they could have been future bench players they could have been future all-stars they could have been future whatever right mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be – it's sad to see so many different people losing their jobs and having their career kind of stripped from them, in, in a sense, because of everything that's going on with COVID-19. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. And I think with this whole thing, like you said as well, is that there's MLB owners that are, that are owned – like there's teams that are owned by single owners who are like billionaires as you. And then there's a lot other teams that are owned by, like I'd say, organizations like Rogers or – and it's harder for them to, I guess, put out the money because in that it's, it's about a business and it's about making money, but they're more serious about 
with their budgets, they don't, they have certain restrictions and stuff. And there's a lot more limitations because considering they have all the teams that Rogers or Rogers or no, I mean, MLSE owns like all those organizations, except for the Blue Jays, but like in, in that area is that there's many teams that are owned by those organizations and there's teams that are owned by billionaires who have the money. And like you said, the New York Yankees could probably play all their minor league players. Um, and also as well, the MLB players. And I think it's cynical to type the fact that these owners who are billionaires who I understand, you know, they have a lot of money and they want to keep their money because they've they've worked hard for it. But it's like you have to have some empathy, not sympathy. You have to kind of you have to understand what these players are going through. It's very hard for those MLB owners to get to understand what they're going through because they have a lot of money. They're not in the same situation, so it's hard for them to I think uh, empathize for them to give them money. But I think they what they need to do is they need to take a step back. They need to realize, okay. I think we can give them a little bit. Like, we need to give them a little more. Because if you cut players, they are no longer making money. They weren't making a, a lot of money to start in the first place. It's not like if you were to cut, like, let's say a player, MLB player, who's built up millions of dollars in savings, and then he was to be cut or whatever it is, and then he loses his money. He has money built up. A lot of these minor league players don't have a lot of money saved up. So they're, they're working paycheck to paycheck kind of thing, even though they're a minor league AAA, AA, or single-A players. So I think at this point, I understand it's a business and you have to, you have to look at it a financial aspect, but I think there could have been a little more empathy from the owners, especially those ones that, that are a lot more, uh, say affluent or rich that can afford to pay those players, be it the Yankees, be it the Red Sox, be it, I uh, know the Los Angeles, um, I want to, trying to think of the other Dodgers. That's what I mean. Yeah. So I think the LA team out there. So I think that I understand from both sides, it makes sense of what everything's going on, but I still think the owners could have been a little more empathetic. And that's kind of where I stand on the whole matter of this. Yeah. Uh, this, this and I think, I think, I think they will, they hopefully will come to an, an agreement because the owners do have to understand, like you're saying that they, they have to make, they have to make some sort of money, like not only yeah. minor leaguers, but, the MLB players, they're not going to work for what would be 50% for whatever amount of games, right? Because if you, yeah. if you think about it on a grand scheme of things, so say this was actually a 162-game uh, season. Say they were playing a full season. Basically, the MLB is saying, we're going to cut your pay in half for the yeah. full season, which is tough. It's really tough for the players to say, we're going to go along with that, right? Because if you're – if you're, uh, I mean, yes, if you're Bryce Harper, you wouldn't care as much because you are making a lot of money, but you're also losing a lot of money in that mm -hmm. sense. And you feel like you're not getting paid what you should be making. Say if you're working at a grocery store or something like that, if they're saying you're making half of what you're supposed to be making, that's tough for you because most of the time you're living on those week to week checks. Right. So yeah. it's, it, it, I mean, yes, it on a grander scale, but when it's on a grander scale, you're losing a lot more money. And for yeah. minor leaguers uh, or MLB players who are making like only 900 K for example, now they're making 450 over a year. And then now they're losing a lot more money and they're having to live in a lot more expensive areas because of where they have to play, whatever. Mm -hmm. They have a lot more uh, taxes to pay, whatever. Either way, it is tough for a lot of these minor leaguers right now that are being cut. And for the players that are, still on teams it's tough for them because they're fighting for their they're fighting for what they should be getting paid which they shouldn't have to do and I feel it's important for the MLB and the owners to understand that yes it is a business and yes you're losing money but the players aren't going to play unless they're getting paid what they think they're deserved and if if they are they think they deserve that they should 
be getting paid half as much for half the games, then that makes sense. But they're not going to take a pay cut of another 25% after that. No, I definitely agree. And I think with going forward with this, like you said, agreement as well, they're going to have to, because it's not, I know we've, we've discussed this before and I can understand that for certain players that make a lot of money, they're losing a lot of money and it's different because you have to eat like, like I know we talked about this, but Bryce Harper is making 25 million, I think for the season. He's now making, I think it's like, it was like 9 million. And then you take with the taxes, it's about 6 million. So when you lose about $19 million or so, that's a huge loss in regards to the big house that he has, where he's living. Yes, he's living in Philadelphia, but there's nice houses in Philadelphia. He probably has a nice car. He's probably got a mortgage to pay. And it's a lot harder. Now, just think, like, just look at that. And then think about the minor league players who are probably living in a two-bedroom apartment, apartment maybe got to pay rent, and they got, they, they're on ends meet. They're on a paycheck to paycheck. So I think that the MLBPA, just in general, and the MLB commissioner, Rob Maver, should somewhat come to an agreement and say, okay, we need, and the team with the teams as well and the owners, is, is you need to pay for the minor league players just for like a minimum amount. And I think the $400 each week is, is, is not a lot, but for them not playing, for them just to be surviving and them to be continuing to work and stuff, um, I think that's where it has to be. Maybe a bit more. Maybe it could be $500 each week, so it's $1,000 every two weeks. And I think that's where you have to go for next because a lot of these minor league players, like, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and they're waiting for that next check. If they don't get it because they're cut for whatever, like, you know, out of work and stuff, it's going to be a lot harder for them to live in, in certain areas that they are, for them to pay rent, for them to get food. And I think it, it's really hard to see. It's, re- it's really going to be interesting what happens over the next few weeks. Alrighty, that wraps up our MLB discussion regarding the many major league teams uh, cutting hundreds of minor leaguers in an effort to cover the loss, the, the cost of lost revenue. Moving on over into our last topic of the day regarding the regarding some regarding the NFL. Uh, of course, three major rule changes and one bylaw has been or have been coming to the NFL this upcoming season. So the first bylaw or the, the only bylaw change was that the number of players eligible to return from injury reserve is now up from two to three now which may seem like a minor thing, but it is bigger because if you have three big stars who are out and now it's like you can only, you originally could only bring back two of them. Yeah. You can bring that third star back, which I think is, it's, it's a minor rule. Um, there's a few other ones, but the big one that I kind of want to talk about was there's two big ones, but the first one was the getting rid of the game clock loophole, which basically negates people or teams using multiple fault or it's fault. No delay games to delay the game game clock. Now, what's interesting is the fact that the Patriots used this. They were successful with it. The Titans used it against the Patriots, and then the league had a problem with it, which I'm not saying, like, I know this could be a weird conspiracy, but I'm just thinking it's like just because once New England used, got it used against them and they lost a game, then and the NFL and, you know, the commissioner was like, we, we need to make a change to this, which I think is interesting. I don't know if it's exactly regarding that, but I think it's just regarding it's affected many teams. And it's a good change because now teams have to be more strategic in the thinking. Uh, of course, the second new rule, the new, second new rule, permanently triggers an automatic replay for all scoring plays and turnovers negated by foul, which I think is interesting as well. That's going to be good. And the last new play, uh, playing rule, expands defenses, player productions for kickoff and punt returns. This is huge because, of course, player safety in the NFL has become a major, it's become a major forefront. It's been at the forefront for a while now because player safety is, of course, number one, especially in the sport of football, regarding kickoff and punt returners. 
Um, so what are your original thoughts on these decisions of uh, rule changes and the bylaw? So, yeah, I think <clears throat> uh, coming out of the, the NFL, like, uh, owners meeting and stuff like that. I think the bylaw change was smart. I think you have to give teams that availability for an extra player. I think that's it's just a good idea in general. Uh, getting rid of the game clock loophole. I mean, we did see it obviously, like you were saying, with the Patriots and Titans last year. I think maybe it could have been brought up after the Titans did it to the Patriots, but I feel like at the same time, I think it was going to be changed in the off season yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as they found that loophole, I think the NFL just kind of took a second and said, okay, we got to kind of patch that up. Um, and then with the automatic replay for plays and turnovers negated by a foul, it just makes sense. I mean, uh, you got to know what's going on and you want to make sure you get the calls right every time. And that's why I think the automatic replay actually helps a lot with the game. Well, yes, it does slow it down sometimes. I think it's a very, uh, a very helpful feature and it's the age of technology right now, right? We have the, we have the availability for the replays and I think we should be using them to the best of our abilities. And then obviously, like you're saying, player safety is huge for the uh, player protections for the kickoff and punt returners. But what I was most surprised about coming out of this was the fact that the fourth and 15, uh, uh, the fourth and 15, uh, instead of a onside kick rule yeah. was actually disapproved uh, after we were talking about it last week. It was gaining a lot of traction after it was proposed by the Eagles. Um, and that was actually put on the shelf for now. They're saying, okay, uh, we're not going to implement it this year, but we'll maybe think about it in the future years, which I thought was interesting. I thought that, that could have been a uh, very interesting uh, stipulation to add in this year that could uh, go on for the next few years. I think that after the teams kind of sit back and say, okay, this actually should be a possibility. It sounds like it would like, actually be beneficial to the game I think they will implement it either next year or the year after but I was surprised they I was surprised there was such a disapprovement of it after there was already some reports yeah. of it getting traction it just kind of confused me there what are your no, thoughts? I definitely I definitely agree because it's like we talked about it last week on the show and it was a lot of traction from it there was a lot of people who were interested in it um, and it's interesting to see now what's happened with it, the NFL saying, okay, we might not do it this year, but maybe next year or the year after. But I think what's interesting about the whole thing is that I think it would be better for the NFL to, it seems odd not to have onside kicks in a game or like it would still, you'd still have the onside, but it's this option that the teams could go for it. And I think that honestly, I, I kind of am sad that it didn't get approved because it would have been great to have this year considering, well, we have no fans in the stadiums or at least there might be like like it's gonna be a percentage of stands but fans and stuff but I think that when you have this type of play possible it adds an element of surprise that um that teams are looking for and maybe teams weren't wanting that maybe teams didn't represent like, a lot of people say they don't really like change because change isn't sometimes always necessarily good but I think this change would be good for the NFL because it it sparks a new air of just like uh Obviously, the, the two-minute offense has been a huge thing in the NFL for a while now. And I think with this, it's like it allows those kind of option plays where it's like you need – you have this if, – if the play was in the NFL, if the play was passed along, I'm saying a lot of teams would develop plays surrounding this situation and defenses to know how to guard it, to know how to – or not, I guess, guard it, but defend again. So I'm really sad that it didn't get passed because I think it would have been beneficial for the NFL to have excitement to the game. Uh, to add, I guess, yeah, a lot of excitement near the end of yeah. the game as well. Yeah, it would have added an, an extra layer of intensity, I feel like, uh, to the game instead of the random chance that is the onside kick. And like you're saying, yeah, I agree that there would have been a lot of interesting plays that would have came out, uh, came out of this interesting defensive alignments. 
who knows? It would have opened a nice new possibility for those uh, tense moments late in games. But I was just kind of surprised. Like, I mean, I can see how owners might say, okay, it might be exploited. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't think – I think it would be more beneficial than it would take away from the game. And I was kind of surprised that it wouldn't be implemented. I'm hoping that in the future years they decide to put that rule back in, though. So I think it's a good idea. Definitely. Alrighty, that wraps up our NFL discussion regarding the three major rule changes and the one bylaw coming to the by new bylaw coming to the NFL this com- upcoming season, along with the rejected fourth and fifteen uh, play proposal. This has been episode thirty-seven of On the Rise On the Rise podcast with your hosts Sam and Evan. Be sure to check out our website ontherisepodcast.ca and Instagram at Rise Podcast. We'd like to give thanks to all the Midtown Radio listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for more great sports content.